Hello and welcome to this Archimedes podcast from the Archives of Diseases of Childhood, the evidence-based section where we tell you all about clinical questions that have been raised by real clinical people, probably in response to real clinical scenarios, anonymised a little bit to protect patient confidentiality, and then used to go out into the world to search for the evidence that can support the best decisions makeable. Now, that involves skills of turning things into answerable questions, heading out into the literature to try to find what's there, collecting what's there, and then shuffling it, sifting it, appraising it, seeing what the good bits and the bad bits are, and then synthesizing that all into something that we can actually use in clinical work. What have we got for you this month? Well, we've got a little snippet about how maths can sometimes be confusing, and then we've got two clinical reports One on the use of CT scanning in isolated vomiting in children who've had a minor head injury and the other on the use of continuous versus intermittent dosing of vancomycin, particularly in neonates. Take the situation when we're considering new technologies. How they are good for you are many and varied. There are now ways of communicating even within NHS hospitals that have been specifically built, or so it feels, to block all mobile phone signals, to see veins in children where none appear to exist, and to allow children undergoing radiotherapy to turn into superheroes with their fixation masks. Technologies are utterly brilliant. They brought us from days of primates where we could see the tasty ant into being able to get it with a long stick. They took us from the Victorian era of witty after-dinner conversation into sitting on the same couch, scrolling Twitter and not talking to each other. They let us see things that we couldn't see before. Smaller, subtler things, the first glimpses of stuff. And in this way, they may accidentally open up us to a range of misdiagnosis or extended diagnosis, and that leading to well-meaning mismanagement. The phenomenon of too much medicine has been explored by us in Archimedes and by many other brighter people much before. But there is a subtler variant in the way that prognosis can seem to shift without actually anything really happening just by changing the lens you use. Now imagine that you have six children with a malignancy. Two have definite localised disease and their overall survival is 80%. Two have obvious metastatic disease. Their overall survival chance is about 40%. And the other two have a subtle low-level or what we call oligometastatic disease. Their overall survival is around about 60%. And so for the whole population, that's the two at 80, two at 60 and two at 40, the population survival will be estimated at 60%. Now, if you only have the imaging to be able to detect the big lumps, then the metastatic group, that's just two of them, have an overall survival of 40%, and the local disease group, well, the survival for that will be the two with 80% and the two with 60%, so on average, 70%. Now, don't change the way you treat these patients at all. Don't change that success. Just change your way of detecting disease, say a CT scanner or a PET scanner or something fancy that glows in the dark. Now, your local disease group, the survival has increased to 80% because it's just the two with the 80%. 
your metastatic group survival has also improved because it's the two with 40% plus the two with 60%. And so now you've got an average survival of 50% by doing nothing but altering how you look at this problem. You have apparently improved the survival in both groups. Keep the whole population and the whole population survival is still exactly the same on average 60%. What you have to remember when you're looking at things that have occurred over time is to see, are they truly comparable? Are you really seeing improvements or are you seeing a mathematical mirage? As we frequently say, but don't state, trust nothing, question everything, stay appraised. Our first report comes from the northeast of England, primarily the James Cook Hospital in Middlesbrough, from doctors Viduris, Kumar and Kanna Laganothan. What they've asked is in neonates that need vancomycin because of suspected sepsis, is it right to treat that vancomycin as a long, slow, infusional course of antibiotic, or is it better to use the traditional approach of giving some, giving a bit more, giving a bit more, giving a bit more, testing a level, changing the dose, giving a bit more, etc, uh, etc. Et now what they did was they went out and they searched the medical literature to see what was published out there on continuous versus intermittent dosing of vancomycin. And what they found were 36 things that seemed pretty relevant, but actually only five of those were of any use. One of them was a randomised controlled trial, and four of them were retrospective studies. And this is often the way in paediatrics, where we get one RCT and then a lot of data from cohort studies to try and see whether it backs it up or whether it has different conclusions. The cohort studies broadly tell us, in numbers between 40 or so up to 230-odd or so, that around about one and a half times more people do get successfully in-target ranges when you use the continuous infusion with babies versus intermittent. Interesting, they also show that the intermittent is more likely to give you high or toxic levels of vancomycin as well. The RCT took 104 children, it was aiming for more but stopped at that point, and randomised those. They still showed an important and significant difference between the two. On the continuous infusion, 85% of children went into the target range versus only 41% in the non-target range, and the average time to eventually get there was 22 hours for the continuous group and 36 and a bit hours for the intermittent group. They didn't find any toxicity in that particular trial, but relatively small. Now, the other thing that I learned when looking at this was that actually your target dose where you're looking at peaks and troughs probably isn't the best way of understanding how vancomycin works. It probably works best when the vancomycin level is above the minimum inhibitory concentration, the MIC, of the bug that you're trying to get rid of. And so a better way of assessing the therapeutic efficacy would be the AUC over 24 hours where it was above the MIC, the AUC 24 slash MIC value. Now, this is probably the best target to achieve, but to do that with intermittent dosing actually requires some fairly fancy maths. It's relatively complicated. You can do it really quite straightforwardly when you have continuous dosing. 
So their bottom lines that emerge from this data are that continuous is probably better because it gets you in target, it means that you can measure it more accurately, it gets you in target quicker and probably means that you're getting high levels more infrequently as well. Why don't we all change tomorrow? Well, there's still some debate about how you do the loading and how you do the dosing, and it does require a big mind shift in how to do this measurement. Additionally, the addition of a continuous infusion into a neonatal regime that probably has 77 other things and we're always worried about mixing might be tricky. So it does take some implementing, but it's probably worth looking at in the future. The other clinical report comes from Helen Newsom in Sheffield, who asks the question around the importance of isolated vomiting in minor head injuries in children. The situation is one common in every ED. A child comes in having fallen over and bumped their head in primary school. They've been sick three times and there's a feeling that you probably won't find anything by CTing their head, but the guidance and everything is saying that you should. There's worry about CTs. They are a radiation exposure. Sometimes they'll need an anaesthetic to do so, and they're a big resource. They also produce a degree of importance and worry in the parents, and that might have its own effects upon the child and the way that they are acting in later life. The two big head injury rules that have been used and validated and looked at extensively are pecan and chalice and the nice guidelines on head injury emerge from this but there is a question as to whether isolated vomiting vomiting in the absence of everything else really has been taken into case when you think about younger children and their different approach to being poorly as we all know, even seeing the bottle of paracetamol liquid, which is usually called by its trade name, can seem to make children feel better, let alone getting it in their body in any pharmacological way. So why wouldn't they respond to other things differently? Children are not little adults, as we frequently say. Well, Helen went out and looked to see what could be found within the literature, focusing primarily on very large data sets rather than case series because what we're looking for is a rare thing in a rare outcome, and publication bias in smaller sets is a big problem. They found that there were two large data sets that have been trolled specifically to answer this question, and a slightly dodgily reported systematic review that came up with the same answer. The two data sets had a thousand patients with isolated vomiting in the setting of 20,000 or so head injuries, and also found that only one of those thousand actually had a clinical uh, traumatic brain injury and two of those thousand only had a CT designated but not clinically diagnosed injury bringing it to around about 0.5% of the in isolated vomiting population having actually had a problem with a brain injury. The other very large data set with 40-odd thousand head injuries in it had 815 with purely isolated vomiting. Of those, a total of seven ended up with some form of brain injury, which is around about the 1% level. Two of them were clinical and five of them were only detected by CT. That's a small proportion of a large number of children that turn up with this particular feature. Now, it is probably true, given that, that actually 
skilled observation is a perfectly reasonable alternative to CT scanning. And then if there is a concern, if there is a deterioration or a change or other factors come along, not just the vomiting, then to move on and to undertake to do an actual CT check. But there's another wider on this. In adults, isolated vomiting is definitely a predictor of head injury. So what do we do with teens? Certainly there are anecdotal reports and apparently within the data maybe it's detectable that teens act more like adults than children. So with little kids, primary school, those sorts of children children, minor head injury, isolated vomiting, probably observe. With teenagers turning up with isolated vomiting after head injury, be more concerned. They may well warrant running through the CT scanner. Obviously, there are always limitations in this work, and some of it is about the recording of numbers of vomits over what period of time. And so you do have to take these into account when you're making your clinical decisions. But the bottom line is that little kids probably don't need putting for a CT scanner after they've had a Mr. Bump incident and only isolated vomiting. This month's Archimedes has come to an end. Why don't you join in? Why don't you think about throwing your hat into the ring and submitting an Archimedes? Not all Archimedes get published, but many do. And with hard work, good luck, a following wind and a beautiful writing style, you stand a fair chance of getting things in. We try to use a supportive editorial process where we shuffle you through the process as much as we can and then let loose before the winds of the other editors to see if they will tear you apart or let you land safely. The Archimedes process is peer-reviewed and will count towards your applications for future career-ness, whatever that should be, well, hopefully in paediatrics. But even, even we do recognise that non-paediatricians have to exist, mainly for when we're poorly, but, but anyway... Enjoy the month. I look forward to speaking to you next month and do submit your Archimedes with your clinical queries 